We've been in a series of messages here at LifeSpring Bible Church. By the way, I like to do this. It's December 20th. It's Sunday, of course. It's about uh, 12.32 Alaska Standard Time. So why do you do that? Well, it turns out that over the next few weeks, over a thousand people will watch this message. Go figure, right? So they kind of like to know when we preached it. So that's why I said that uh, the date and time. Over the last number of weeks, we have been studying some of the more little-known characters of Christmas in the Bible. And, uh, and this week's going to be no different. It always struck me funny that there would be somebody who would ask me at the end of each sermon, who you cover next week? And I'd get the order mixed up in my head, and I, and I wouldn't be able to answer their question. And there was something that I did last week when someone said, what's the character next week? Thank God, it's the last one. You can't mix him up, right? Simeon. The last one that we're going to cover is Simeon. And uh, it says, Bible characters for Christmas, message six, Simeon, lessons from a satisfied old man. I should be able to preach this one, right? That's what I'm thinking. And so I said to Nathan last week, I think he was a priest or something in the temple. Now, you, you have to pay close attention to what the Bible says or you'll accidentally add something to it or take something away from it that you shouldn't do. Are you following with me there? you got to be careful about that, right? So I said to Nathan, I said, I think uh, he was a priest in the, in the temple. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about Simeon having a job at the temple. And I thought to myself, wow, that's important. I should... You know, as a pastor, if I'm going to preach this stuff, I should pay attention to it, right? And we'll cover more about that in a moment. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to pick up at verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And uh, one of the things that we've seen coming up through these series of messages so far is that people heard from God and they obeyed, right? If I had more thumbs, they'd be up. They heard from God and they obeyed, all right? Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 35. Simeon's story is a little bit different. Here's how it goes. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, awaiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I don't care what his job was. We know everything about him we need to know right there in that one line. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about their about him, their child, their baby. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign 
that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He's talking to a mother who will have to watch her child pay the price that he's going to pay for mankind. And Simeon spells it out for this little baby's mother. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, I've often wondered, what would prompt me to say, okay, I'm ready to die? I'm ready to die. Do you know, have you ever heard anybody humorously refer to seeing something very surprising and say, okay, now, now I can die? Have you ever heard anybody say that? They got that from this story in the Bible. That thing came from, that saying came from this story in the Bible because what did Simeon say? I've seen, I've seen the Christ child. I'm ready to die. I can go now, right? What would prompt you to say, okay, now I'm ready to die? Because that is what Simeon said. He was a satisfied old man. Luke uses the story of his life and meeting of the Christ child to make a very important point for Theophilus because he wrote the book of Luke to Theophilus. Oh, Theophilus. Remember that? Uh, the Roman ruler for whom this book is written. What is that point? Luke uses the story of Simeon in chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. And a woman named Anna in chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, to demonstrate that the Christ child is the one for whom Israel had waited and longed for. Therefore, the ages of Simeon and Anna can be very important. Luke wants to show that both of these people have been patiently waiting for the Messiah. Their patient waiting is now being fulfilled as Simeon and Anna both converge in the temple area and meet the Messiah face to face. The scene that Luke wants to highlight is more than just a historical fulfillment. It seems that Luke wants to make this scene very personal for Simeon and Anna because he didn't have to put either one of their stories in there, did he? But he did. Got to be a reason. I see this in Simeon's personal statement. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And from Luke's account of Anna's actions, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption of Israel. Luke's point for Theophilus is that this Christ child is the one that God-fearing, law-keeping, and faith-filled people have been looking for. Therefore, if you could see Simeon in the temple courtyard holding the baby Jesus with his eyes lifted to the vast sky of Jerusalem, you would see why I named this message a satisfied old man. I like that. A satisfied old man. In fact, he's so satisfied that having held the Christ child, he's now ready to go home to be with his Lord. To me, this is a powerful image and one that begs a very important question. What exactly did he see? And that's what we're going to examine today. What did Simeon see when he looked into the face of the Messiah? Let me first give you my idea and then try to show you three ways uh, that I see this in this text. Simeon's sight and Luke's point. That's what I'm calling this section. I believe that Luke records this account to show Theophilus and all of us that Simeon saw the gospel. An attractive, broad, costly, 
and satisfying gospel. That's what I believe Simeon saw. The story of Simeon as a whole is a reminder that this Christmas season is essentially about the far-surpassing joy that a personal relationship with Christ brings. This account is a reminder to all of us that this day is not just about time with family or wonderful expressions of love. Rather, Christmas calls us to remember that Jesus is not only the reason why we celebrate, He is the only reason for living. Or, in Simeon's case, the only reason for dying. To be a follower of Christ means that we have declared that nothing is more important, nothing is more lovely, nothing is more attractive, and nothing is more worthy than Jesus Christ. That is what Simeon saw, and that is what all godly people should see, even to the point of death. So, I'd like to call all of us today to be like Simeon, a man supremely satisfied with a costly gospel. To have the kind of eyesight that Simeon had, we need to see three things. One, the treasure of a godly life. Two, the beauty of the gospel. And three, the cost of following Christ. First point, let's look at that first point. Number one, the treasure of a godly life. Central to Simeon's spiritual eyesight was a deeply rooted godliness. His meeting of the Christ child was not an anomaly or a spiritual aberration. Rather, it was the summit of his lifelong experience with God. Notice how the text describes him. We learn in verse 25 that he lived in Jerusalem. Simeon appears to be a normal Jewish man. He's not identified as a priest or a ruler, and that becomes important. What distinguishes Simeon is not his position but his godliness. There's a reason why we don't know what he did for a living, because more importantly, we found out what and who he was. He was a godly man. Amen? He's not identified as a priest or a ruler. So what distinguishes Simeon is not his position, but his godliness, because there were four characteristics that are listed in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture. One, He's described as righteous, which means that he was considered a man full of God-honoring actions. The word is primarily focused towards one con uh, one's conduct with others. So Simeon was known for his godly conduct toward others. Number two, he was called devout. He was careful about his religious observances. He was a faithful temple-goer, which means that he regularly met with God. But you know what I love about this particular story, he was used to going there a lot. We get the idea he was there a lot. But on this day, he showed up because the Holy Spirit drew him, said, go now. Well, let's just see about that. Let's see if I'm right about that. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You know, in that dynamic... I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I don't even want you to answer. Don't raise your hands. Don't, 
you know, don't shout out. <laughs> How many of you today, answer this for yourself, you found it difficult to get up today and get ready and come to church? I mean, don't answer that. Because, you know, it's probably about 100%, I mean, in some ways. In some ways. I mean, isn't it tough for you when you first open your eyes in the morning for you to set your feet on the floor? You know, doesn't it feel like you're, you're tempted to say to yourself, I don't have the energy to get up and do this. But here's my guarantee to you today. Unless you've got some kind of innate hate for God, and I don't, I don't see people sitting in church that hate God. I just don't see it. When you're finished here today and you leave, I believe, I'll make this statement, state, a faith statement, I believe you'll be glad you came. Because what, what do we find when we come to church? If we can't find God here, why come? We find God, we enter into his joy, we enter into his strength, and we get energized. Amen? Amen? All right. So he was here, or he was in the, in the temple, uh, because he was in the Spirit. Amen? The Spirit of God said, go now. Amen? All right. He's called devout. He was careful about his religious observances. He was faithful. He was a faithful temple goer, which means that he regularly met with God. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He took the prophets at their word and was looking for the coming Messiah. Next, the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a man deeply influenced and controlled by the Spirit of God. There was something about him which indicated of the special manifest presence of, of the Spirit. From the Old Testament perspective, Simeon was a model of godliness. He kept the law inwardly and outwardly, looked for the Messiah, and the very presence of God was on his life. Verse 26 tells us that God had revealed to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. He would not die until he saw for himself the coming Messiah. What a gift that God had given him. And who better to give it to uh, than a man who would fully appreciate it? Now, I highlighted this. What impresses me most about Simeon is the powerful faith to take God at his word. What impresses me about Simeon is the powerful faith to take God at his word. He doesn't ask God a bunch of questions about what God said. He just, he just hears from God and he just obeys him. Simeon's righteous faith qualified him to see something incredibly special. Treasuring God at one level gave him eyesight to see something at a whole nother level. Amen? Treasuring God at one level gave him eyesight to see something special at a whole nother level. It reminds me of this New Testament passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness uh, and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In verse 14, therefore, beloved, since we are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Simeon understood the treasure of a godly life. To have the world know this about the followers of Christ. 
to have people know that there's something different about us is because of how satisfied we are in Christ. He will not make sense to them, and honestly, he should not make sense to them, the unsaved. In fact, people may even hate you for your Christ-centered satisfaction. You know, some people want a lot of things in this world. I'm hoping that God will help me understand why I'm using this example, but I'm going to give it a shot. Anybody ever offer you a new car? Anybody ever offer you, I mean, a lot of money? I, I, it doesn't happen every day, right? I'm a pastor, so even if I sat down at the dinner table, I encourage most families, turn the phone off, calls away wait till after dinner, but my pastor's heart won't let me do that. I, I got my phone, and I'll answer it. Somebody may need something right then, right? If somebody needs me or needs something, I'm going to answer the phone. Does that make sense to you? But, listen to this story. I, I made a telemarketer laugh real hard one time, and, and I, I really don't even have the patience to do that anymore. Telemarketers call me. I didn't ask them to call me. I just end the call. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not rude. I just end the call. But I used to try to be nice. You ever been there? All right, watch this. <clears throat> I wrote the title of this as I made the telemarketer laugh. I mean, not just chuckle, but I mean belly laugh. A good belly laugh. What's this with me? The telemarketer called and asked me if I'd received my car keys in the mail last week. I said, no. So this lady said, I have good news. We have an extra set here in the office. I don't know what in the world she's talking about. I have my keys in my pocket, right? All you need to do is come down to our service center to learn about our products, pick up your keys, and you'll have the chance to start a Chevy Blazer, a brand new Chevy Blazer. So... You know, if the keys start the Chevy, I get to keep it, right? The only thing I could think of was, I said, I really don't like Chevy Blazers. I mean, it wasn't true, you know what I'm saying? But I just said, I really don't like. I got a hot meal sitting in front of me, right? And she's wanting to give me something I'm not going to get. You, or you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, it's to get me into the dealership so they, oh, we're sorry, it didn't start. Would you like to see one anyway, right? So I said, I don't like Chevy Blazers. So she said, um... I was, and I wrote here, I was just truly trying to be polite and end the call. Really, she said. So she changed strategies. Well, how about $15,000? Now, she goes, we have a drawing for $15,000 cash. Uh, by now, my food's getting cold. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't know what to say. So I said, I really don't like $15,000 either. I just said it. I mean, how many of you doesn't like $15,000? She knew I'm lying through my teeth, right? But I ain't getting that car, and I ain't getting that $15,000, and my food's getting cold, right? So when I said, no, I don't want like $15,000 either, she busted out laughing because she knew what I was doing, right? And when then I couldn't help it, I busted out laughing. We both busted out laughing, right? Now, now the point to this is, by now my food's getting cold, so I said, yeah, I really wouldn't like $15,000 either. And that was when we both busted out laughing. I really didn't care about the $15,000 at the moment. It would be nice if my computer stayed lit. I really didn't care about the $15,000 by now. My food was getting cold, so I said, yeah, really? I, uh, anyway, where was I? I know the story. I don't know why I don't just tell it. She goes, well, we, we had that drawing for $15,000 cash, and you don't care about $15,000, and we still just kept laughing about it. I said, no, I just wanted to end the call and one again. Wouldn't it be awesome... If that was our view of life when it comes to the gospel, nothing else matters. Not new cars, not big piles of cash. 
How many of you know that if you give your life to God and live your life the way the Holy Spirit leads you to live it, God's going to take care of you. Amen? You've known me now for a number of years. A whole bunch of you have known me for a number of years now. And I've told you all the stories that I can think of time and time again how God even literally put food on my table. You know that story. Put food on my table. God did it. You say, well, did he make it magically appear? No. God sent someone to my door, knocked on my door I'd never met in my life. And he said, I hope this doesn't upset you, but when I drove by your home this morning, God told me to bring groceries to your house. Do you want them? And we started putting... He, he was the area manager for Little Admiral Food Stores. No, God didn't. Didn't make it appear magically on my table, but yes, that's exactly what he did. And all day long, I looked for I looked for food, and I looked for help. I looked for maybe money or whatever. God help me, God help me, God help me. I told my wife, when she got home at 5 o'clock, there would be food in the house. And so at 4.45, I'm angry with God. I'm just being honest with you. You ever been there? I'm angry with God. I'm giving him what for. God had failed me. That's what I told him. You failed me. I, what am I going to do? My wife is coming home. My, my pregnant wife is coming home. And I don't have food on my table. Knock, knock, knock. You talk about, there was crow. There was a whole bag of crow for me to eat too. You understand what I'm saying? You know? And man, did I eat it. I even sopped up the gravy, or the gravy with bread. I ate every drop on that plate. Why? Because God said, just relax. Just relax, I got this. God had made the arrangements for food on my table at 7 o'clock that morning, knowing I was going to need it at 5 o'clock in the evening. In the last 15 minutes, he made it appear. My wife, my wife got home and saw all those bags of food, and she was happy, but she didn't know the story. She didn't know what God had done to bring all that about. But I'm telling you, you got to trust God. You've got to trust God. We're going to keep trying to do this. Boom. All right. You've got to trust God. So it doesn't matter if people offer you things of the world, new cars, banks full of money. None of that matters. Only the gospel matters to the child of God. Now, why do we need to pay attention to that? We need to pay attention to that because I'm telling you, I mean, you look around. If I said to you, we're living in the last days, many of you wouldn't have trouble believing that, right? But it doesn't matter if Jesus waits 2,000 more years. We need to live the same way. We need to have the same priorities. In other words, the gospel, the, the message of Jesus Christ. You know, um, we need to stop struggling with what the book says. We just need to embrace it. Amen? We need to embrace the book. We need to live for God. I, I, I've, I've said this before, but I, I've got to say it again. The fact of the matter is, people are going to be standing before God one day with all their opinions. Everything that they said... God's not right about. God's wrong. Because in the last days, the Bible says, man will say that right is wrong and wrong is right. Are we not there? Are we not there? 
We're there. And, and I said this, and it bears repeating, all that garbage crept into the church. And people in the church began to believe that lie, that good is bad and bad is good. I'm telling you right now, I could stand in this pulpit today and mention a half a dozen subjects, and this, this recording goes out all over now. And, and I would get feedback from people angry with me because I said the gospel is true and let every other man be a liar. Because lies have crept into the church and they've taken root. Now, what is the cure? I remember 30 years ago, people would come into the church living lives that weren't according to the book. Right? Now, they're loved, they're cared for, and they're not rejected. Do you hear what I'm saying? Love, care. I just don't put them in leadership positions. Do you hear what I'm saying? People who are wrapped up in doing things the ways of the world are not going to be leaders in our church or not. We're going to love them. We can keep praying for them. We're going to keep being there for them. And we're going to encourage them to go to the book. Because I have never seen anything in my life like this book that when someone reads the truth in here, it's different than hearing it from anybody's lips. I've had people come to me and tell me, Pastor, I was reading the Bible this, this week and I saw this. Is that really true? I said, it's the Bible, isn't it? So, how do, I, how do I start living it? Let's pray about it. Let's ask God for forgiveness. Let's ask God for strength. And let's walk away from this with the help of God and do it right now. Amen? Alright, point number two. The beauty of the gospel. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple to dedicate him uh, 40 days after his birth. In Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This came from Leviticus chapter 12 in the first eight verses. Gave clear instructions that after the birth of a child, a woman was ceremonially unclean. This season of uncleanness was terminated by the offering of a sacrifice, a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. The law is also allowed in cases of poverty for two pigeons or turtle doves to be offered instead of a lamb. So Mary and Joseph left Bethlehem traveled the six or so miles up the city, uh, up the road to the city of Jerusalem. Simeon finds them coming into the temple, takes the child in his arms and offers a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving to God. Simeon's prayer captures the beauty of the gospel. For the sake of time, I'll let you go back and read it again for yourself later. Three subpoints here. The gospel brings hope. He begins his praise to God with an expression of ultimate satisfaction in God. And it's tied to the word peace. I got to read it. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon's ready to die. He's at peace. Two or B. The gospel is rooted in God's faithfulness. The peace that Simeon's talking about is linked to two phrases. According to your word and for my eyes have seen your salvation. Peace is not linked to an absence of conflict or pain but to the assurance that God keeps His Word. God keeps His Word. And see, 
The gospel is global, but the beauty is not limited here to Simeon's experience alone. Central to the beauty of what Simeon sees is the breadth of what all this means, that you have appeared or you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, God's being gracious to Israel. But Simeon knows that God's grace is going to overflow the borders of his small nation. And number four, D, the gospel is glorious news. Simeon knows that God's target is not just Israel, but all people. His express, he expresses this very well in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The small child that Simeon holds will be a light to the Gentiles. That's me and you. That's why we're here today. Amen. That's why we're celebrating his birth. He will bring the revelation to non-Jewish people in order to bring Jews and Gentiles to God. It was the little child who would live a sinless life, declare words of life, and then absorb the wrath of God so that the Creator God and His people could be reunited. Two notes here. It was this little child who creates the means by which people separated by their sins can come back to God. And secondly, it was as though it was through this child that sin could permanently be forgiven. Simeon does not know that years later Paul will write these words. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Isn't that powerful? Wow. And in Ephesians 2, 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What? A beautiful picture. As Paul put it in Ephesians 2.19. No longer strangers or foreigners. But fellow citizens. This is the gospel. Full of hope. Rooted in God's faithfulness. Spread to all people. And the most glorious news in all the world. As we celebrate this Christmas. We exchange gifts. We enjoy days of rest and time with family. I just want to remind you that this holiday is about the glory and the beauty of the gospel. Third point, the cost of following Christ. I love the balance that Simeon has, the kind balanced spiritual eyesight that we all need. Godly people are supremely satisfied with the cost of the gospel. You see, treasuring godliness and the worth of the gospel are tested when following Christ costs you something. Mary and Joseph marvel at what Simeon says about him in verse 33. And then he says something stunning to Mary. This child is appointed. Simeon knew. And Mary and Joseph were only beginning to fully understand. That this little baby was part of a massive plan. Can you say amen? Wow. Wow. It's a power, powerful conception 
when you consider, I, I, I saw this, this thing broke up again, but I want to read this again. This child is appointed. Simeon knew, and Mary and Joseph were only beginning to fully understand that this little baby was part of a massive plan determined even before the foundations of the earth. Didn't we learn that in Ephesians chapter 1? Just ponder that for a moment with me. God appointed the future execution of his son. Think about that. We always think about the gift of Jesus Christ coming as a baby and being born in a manger and all. But that was just the beginning. Amen? That was just the beginning. It all disappeared again. Wow. Just ponder that for a moment with me. God appointed the future execution of His Son. Even the most unjustified, unfair, and evil event in human history was part of God's gracious plan. That's enormously comforting to me, believe it or not. Especially if this Christmas is one that is filled with difficult times for us. And I could say that for many of us in this room, if not all of us. This is enormously comforting, especially if this Christmas is one that is filled with difficult times for you. For the fall and rising of many, this phrase either means that many will be humbled and spiritually raised up because of him, like the story of the publican in Luke chapter 18, or it means that Jesus will be a stone over which some will fall and perish while others are spiritually risen up by God's power. This is clear. All men and women will not accept Jesus. He will, in fact, be rejected by many. Simeon gets very personal here with Mary, telling her that she will suffer greatly by suffering, by the suffering of her son. The thoughts of men's hearts will be revealed by what they do with Christ. If they acknowledge Christ when they must be humble and bend the knee to God as their creator. One's response to Christ reveals that true condition of the heart Put all of that together and what you have is a very costly gospel. Granted, it is a glorious one. It's attractive. It's beautiful. But it's not always safe. Do you remember in the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, Aslan was a lion that represented Christ in the story. And one of the characters in the Bible, he pointed out that Aslan was merciful, but he was not safe. He was a lion. For God's sake. Amen. He's merciful. But not always safe. I, I know that sounds funny. Go back and read the, the line. The witch in the wardrobe. And you'll enjoy that part of the story. Simeon does not domesticate. The gospel or the Messiah. And let me explain that. Why I say. That Jesus isn't always safe. He's safe for me and you. Isn't he? He's safe for me and you. Why is that true? Somebody answer that for me. Spit it out. Salvation? He's safe for me and you because we are his children. But he isn't safe for everybody. Let me encourage you, child of God, to do this. Not in the sermon notes. Won't charge you anything extra for it. Spend time on your knees now before God. Do not let it catch you by surprise on the day of judgment where we will all be on our knees. Spend time on your knees now to prepare you for that day. 
Amen. For you shall rise again. Amen. I want to be a sheep. I don't want to be a goat. Amen. How many of you want to be sheep? They want to be sheep. All right. Simeon's a godly man who's satisfied with the gospel. And that is a beautifully and costly treasure. And that's where we come to. I got five quick takeaways here. Five things I want you to know. One, that's a question. Is godliness a treasure to you? Is godliness a treasure to you? Two, do you see the gospel for the beauty that it is? Number three, do you follow Christ even when it proves costly? Number four, can you be godly through seasons where God makes you wait? Can you be godly through seasons where God makes you wait? That day I was waiting for food, that was a long day. You understand me? For my weakness, that's all. For the problems I was having. You know, remember that story I told you? That sometimes for Christ to teach us something about himself that we don't know, he has to take us someplace we don't want to go. Sometimes for Jesus to teach us things about him that we don't know, he has to take us someplace we don't want to go. Remember that story where the disciples are crossing the sea and, you know, Jesus had said, go, right? Jesus is in the boat, the storm's raging, and everybody on board is afraid they're going to drown with Jesus sleeping in, in the bottom of the boat, right? What did he say to him when he woke up? Where's your faith? right? Jesus, if he had asked anybody on that boat that morning, how would you like to go to a storm with me? How many of them would have lined up for that? They wouldn't have. But Jesus took them to a storm and taught them that even the waves and the wind obey him. They learned something about Jesus that they didn't know. I still cry Often today when I think about how I yelled at God and shook my fist at him. And, and I know I'm the only one in the world that ever did it. Right? <laughs> All right. Can you be godly through seasons where God makes you wait? Have you bent your knee and turned to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? That is a, a big question. And do you continue to do it? Amen. Have you bent your knee and turned to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? And I want to add that. Do you continue to do that? Simeon saw the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. He saw this baby was the reason for his godliness. He saw him as the beauty of God saying, promise fulfilled. He held him and knew that one day this baby would call people to choose between God and themselves. Simeon got it. Simeon saw it. Amen? May God give us the kind of spiritual eyesight to see it and lives to live it. Godly people are supremely satisfied and they celebrate a costly gospel. Amen? Amen? Merry Christmas. I love you very much. And I appreciate every single solitary one of you that are here. If you love God, stand with me. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, you know I've heard, I, I've, I know you've heard me say over and over again, I'll be so happy when you heal the church, Father, and uh, turn our eyes and ears and understanding our hearts to you. And 
You begin to hear our prayers uh, in a way that uh, will cause you to heal this land and kill this virus. As a pastor that, that copes with this pastor's heart you've given me, Lord, I like to shake hands and hug necks. I like to anoint people with oil and pray for them around the altars of the church. And I look forward, Father, to returning to that day, and I know it's soon in coming. And I must be patient, Father, while you work out the details. But Father, here we are today. We've heard your word. I want to thank you for the short passage of Scripture that deal with this man's life, Simeon, where we learn everything that we need to know about him. He trusted you. He believed you. You spoke to him. You told him that he would not die. He would not leave this world without having seen the Christ child. And he did. And he recognized it when he saw it. And he embraced it. And the beauty of it. Help us to do that, Father, every day of our lives. Lord, I know that the words I say sometimes can be easy to blurt out. But I know there's challenges, Father, for each and every one of us as we learn to trust you through every storm, every imaginable storm, even the most painful kinds. But God, you're always faithful. It's not about my feelings. I don't always feel it, but that's okay. Your word is true. You are true, Father. I thank you. For these words, Lord. Thank you for giving us the peace that passes all understanding. We can't even explain it. We don't have to. We just have to embrace it. We need to embrace it. Forgive us, Father, again of all of our sins and shortcomings and cleanse us afresh and anew with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Teach us, Father, to kneel before you daily. To find the altars in our home. The dining room table, the side of our bed, maybe the walk-in closet even. Return us to a time where we can use the altars of this church again as a church family. Reach out to you on behalf of ourselves and others. Lord, I want to thank you for what you have planned for us for the rest of this day. Thank you, Father, for preparing us for it. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Fellowship together for a little bit. If you want to stay for the wedding, we're going to get set up for it right now.